So considering the um, events of the last week and uh, with um, demonstrations in Burma, peaceful demonstrations in Burma on uh, behalf of more um, democratic or at least people populist consensus on it, on our government these demonstrations being um, put down a very abrupt and uh, brutal and uh, uh, non-negotiable way just the most kind of brutal way you can do it just shooting people and kicking people around um, seems Almost to not say anything about it would seem to be a, a, a kind of negligence. So I'll take uh, leave to at least to uh, mention this this evening, particularly as I think many of you have it in your minds. Um, we've been asked to chant. We've been asked to dedicate the this day uh, to some kind of statement. Of solidarity. Got requests from some people in Brighton who will be um, peacefully walking, marching, and uh, so we felt we would at least, uh, you know, make the dedication of the peace and the um, sincerity and the wish of our practice. Also, we've been contacted and through the email, so I sent my own personal um, email to be put on a petition, you know, as least you can do, and Lumpur Sumedho has made a statement to, on behalf of the entire Sangha in the, in this, in the West, of our particular community of monasteries, something that will be put on the website, and also, um, you know, presented at a, perhaps a higher level than my little my little protest will be heard at and uh, the effects of this who knows you know but what do you do yeah. what do you do it's always this uh, big issue isn't it big question you know how does how do peaceful people prevent or overcome violent people <laughs> when you you know these some of these stories of these you know when you get the brigs in the way this um particular situation these particular events of you know made it so stark you know so-called buddhist country and then buddhist monks who have kind of vows against violence and harm you know complete harmless People living morally, you know, living kind of lives of 
honesty and non-violence and frugality and commitment to to peace and investigation these very people being completely unarmed being physically uh, beaten kicked in monasteries smashed into uh, of course this is terrible if it happens to anybody but somehow the particular archetype here you've got the the military and the mon- and the military and the monastery these kind of two archetypal qualities you know and it's uh, pitched or standing against each other kind of standing out in very strong contrast yeah and in a way this is um, somehow it's very good to, to it's, it's made that stark you know so what are you going to choose you know what, what, what does the world choose when you just see how how um, reptilian human beings become when they on one level you know the kind of leather and the steel and the bullets and the helmets is kind of way in which the very kind of softness of the skin and the ability to make eye contact and all these things are completely cut off and you get these people almost like kind of machines or strange reptiles acting in completely heartless ways you can choose that is that the way you want to go or whether you believe you're a Buddhist or whatever you are you think being a monk is a good idea or monasticism or whatever look what it stands for you know What's it about? Um, you know, even if it's not all totally. Every every monk or nun isn't completely snow white pure, but at least there's that some statement of inclining in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, it kind of presents this. Of course, this is this is a much bigger issue than Burma, Zimbabwe. You know, another Darfur, you name it, you know, Tibet, when that went down, and China, millions and millions of people slaughtered in China. Same kind of power, power craze, money craze, where it seems to override what we would normally consider to be the kind of more mammalian, let alone human, instincts of sharing and nurturing and looking after each other you know? and you see what what are the kind of what what are the what support what supports this this violation of, of the higher human qualities you have the kind of army obviously but the army is just in one it's almost like the pointed end of of the money you know and the state you see how the the very when you have a state which doesn't necessarily owe much allegiance to the people, you can have a state which doesn't actually care about the people <laughs> living there. I mean, some some states are better than others, but it's not necessarily the case. You get a kind of ruling elite, don't you? And the whole thing is that the state is held together by governance and by power, rather than say that by people actually feeling some sense of kinship or interest or wanting to be together, you're, you're in something with borders around it and that means you go along with what, you know, a particular power group say, you know, and you can have some states seem to be governed a little more sympathetically and empathically than others. Some of them are obviously, like Zimbabwe, 
Burma, you know, and many others perhaps we might name, they seem to be completely uh, callous and not concerned with the welfare of the people at all. The very opposite, actually attacking their own people. You know, and it's very, very. So there's this quality, this what states do. You know. Uh, even the United States, you know, where they won't, they won't even um, ensure or give medical attention to their own people. Proper medical, you know, real, full, beneficial, benevolent medical care to their own people. You know, this, this kind of hardness and lack of lack of care, lack of humanness, is tiring. You know, it's just so innovating, you see how these structures take over. You know, so where, where does it all start? You can say, where does Burma's problem start? Is it British colonialism? Is it the rise of capitalism? And where does it begin, you know? And where does it end? This is just, in some ways, a, a terribly poignant and stark result of many causes and conditions where where people have started to give away their humanity because they'd sooner have money, power, basically. And so we, we, of course, Buddhism in some ways doesn't really offer answers on the political level. There's nearly no such thing as a Buddhist state. You may have Buddhist countries where there's a lot of Buddhist people or people who have degrees of Buddhism in them or degrees of Dhamma interest in them, like Thailand or Sri Lanka or Burma or whatever. But you don't have anything a Buddhist state. Uh, as the state isn't run on principles of Dhamma. The Buddha did, um, there was a, there's a kind of list of the qualities of, of what's required, or what, of what a truly, a true Dhamma uh, leader is, and these are things like gentleness, justice, living with uh, moderation, living a, a, a compliant with the will of the people. And this is laid down in, you know, how many hundred years B.C., you know, they're called the Raja Dhammas, the kingly, the duties of the righteous leader. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if the the you know the message is there, you know, and um, you know, and maybe the, the nearest ever got to it was people like Ashoka or maybe Gandhi or. Mm-hmm. So even as we know, we can see even. Buddhist countries do terrible things. Because we're looking at principles of Dhamma, not the labelling, where Sangha can be used as a kind of moral rubber stamp on a particular regime, as long as it's compliant. And one must indeed salute the, at least the, the willingness of those monks and nuns in Burma to at least go out 
unarmed, just wearing their kind of robes and being met by people with shields and guns and batons and boots. Just so that it's seen, it's presented. We might say, well, what, what do we do, you know? Well, we make, we do what we can. And uh, this is a kind of age-old conundrum, isn't it? As I've said before. But you can also recognize how the, uh, the many states in the world, if they all actually were, you know, unanimous in terms of their non non-support, non, not closing their eyes, actually non-support and, uh, of such a regime. You can't, you know, you've got to, if you, to keep something going, you've got to be able to do business with somebody, otherwise you don't get any money. <laughs> so if you don't, nobody does business. If you knock away the money thing, then the, the military thing has to, has to, eventually has to go. And you've got the money, military and the, in the state, and if you take away the money, which is, the, if you like, where the only bit which is actually refers to people outside, then uh, that must be the the most um, available source of of um, resolution mm. so of, of of destabilizing a regime. Mm. And, uh, you know, you wonder whether, how many will do that. So I think sometimes it's the sense in which, you know, almost our human culture is giving itself away to, to, to economics. Can you imagine if you landed from Mars or somewhere, or office in Turai, and you you know land in this planet. You see these, these little pink blobs running around doing things. And obviously, they need to eat and breathe. And they're always talking about dollars. They say, "What's a dollar? Or pounds? What's a pound? What's a euro? What's this thing they're all obsessed with? <laughs> Can they eat it? No. <laughs> Do, uh, does it? You know? Does it look after? Does it look after? No." What good is this thing? They're all really absorbed in it, you know. Yeah. I mean, kind of something that's supposed to be a token has become a kind of master, and it's continually going up and down in value. Yeah. People will kill for it, and steal and lie for it, and so it makes us extremely miserable and and twisted. Their minds twist up around it. Crazy. Why don't they just kind of look out, help each other, look after each other? They could do that. Quite intelligent. <laughs> you know? Of course, it's it's just playing with the idea. But uh, money can be useful as a as a tool, but it's how it, you know, takes over because the human mind really. Human mind, fantasies, proliferations, and lack of contact with the source of its own real 
happiness and well-being. We think we can buy it. Again, the oldest story, isn't it? The oldest song in the pop song is Money Can't Buy You Happiness. All you need is love. <laughs> I think you need it more than love. Uh, in truth. Mm. To be in touch with the, the nature of mind is what the Buddha recommended to find one's true happiness and seem to, for himself, giving up his own wealth and power, which was in his gesture, you know, didn't want to be a prince or a king or the ruler and uh, giving up that kind of power in that sense and obviously giving up wealth and he kind of went by that and to finding deep contentment and happiness much more so than the the monarchs of the time always running around frightened and attacking each other killing each other a simple statement there simple presentation isn't it you know if we find the nature of mind and connect that to the behaviour of our minds. So everybody, we all can acknowledge mental behaviour. You know, this the mind does things, it urges, it thinks, it plans, it worries, it enjoys, it gets upset, it goes up and it goes down. You know, we can all recognise that. You know? And so, uh, you know, when we kind of notice this, then something is, well, let's get the behavior that's going to feel best, don't you? You know, try and get a continual happy, or get what I, and it comes into getting what I want, self-interest, rather than self-knowledge. Because we haven't necessarily, at that level, really penetrated another aspect of mind, in which we kind of can, could acknowledge, but really penetrated as was the nature of mind. That is, you know, the mind can do kinds of things. What what happens when it doesn't? When it's not doing something? What is it beyond its doingness? What is, it, if you like, its kind of fundamental experience before it thinks or does? Whether it's happy or something that goes beyond its happiness and sadness, its its passions and its dispassions. You know, and um, the word, one word we use for this is awareness. That's kind of fundamental quality of mind, even when it's completely still, is it's, it listens, it's tuned, it receives, doesn't it? it? Receives. It can't do anything but that, really. When you really get, when you actually start to quiet down your mental behavior, mental activities, which tend to not be able to receive anything. They want to adjust things and change things and make things and have things and stop things. Because that's kind of what behavior is about. It's about twiddling and fiddling and changing and altering and so forth. Um, And so we have that, which really can't just accept or be with. Then you also have awareness, which can't do anything but be aware, (laughs) receive things. You know, it's just like, uh uh-huh. So normally there's this kind of, there's an awareness plus behaviours and the two are kind of, uh, for many people, the the awareness faculty of the mind is perhaps 
less to the fore, it's kind of minimal, there's a sensitivity, but there's a lot of behavior going on, a lot of actions, a lot of adjustments, a lot of choices, a lot of decisions, a lot of thinking, a lot of worrying, a lot of stuff moving around. Yeah? And then in the cultivated mind, we, we do cultivate behaviors, you know, pointing, focusing, reflecting, considering, quietening, softening, you know, certain behaviors of mind, you know, like intentions, inclinations, steadying the mind, um, sharing generosity, you know, these kinds of say, skillful behaviors that help us to, to get in touch more with the quality of awareness, you know. Behaviors are much more connected to really sensing what's going on. Uh-huh. So you say the most fundamental um, thing that we need is not really fundamentally, it's more wisdom than love. I mean, love is great, but just the wisdom is not uh, intellectual wisdom. It's actually, uh, you sense what's going on. You know what's going on. I mean, love could be sense of ability to be open to, you know, uh, and empathic with. But you really, wisdom, love, sensing, really sensing how things are happening, you know, and also sensing what it is, what awareness actually is. You tune into what awareness is. What is it? You can't. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not happy. It's not sad. Doesn't have any plans. There's no ideas. Doesn't. Doesn't want anything to happen. It's got no particular directives. By itself, it's just what it does is receive. It's open. Um, you know, so as we meditate, we sort of quieten and soften and go into that, letting come to the end of a thought or the witnessing of a thought or the quieting of an emotion or where an emotion arises from or that which can be with listening to empathic to an emotion Uh, what's that could we even say it's a what you know thing we don't you know all these words tend to break down you can just keep keep doing the practice that somehow aligns you attunes you to into that you're attuning to that and you like it it feels good it feels deep it feels resourceful it feels nourishing it feels something you can trust because it's got no directive at all it's not trying to make you into anything at all not trying to make you be anything or stop this does completely (laughs) doesn't do that you know it's just continually presenting this is this this is that here it is it's this is that yeah and because of that we really respect that in ourselves yeah you trust and you respect that in yourself yeah. and with that then in a way you be, because of trust and respecting that you're just wit- witnessing the behaviours of the mind and just that very act of witnessing them by itself tends by, just by doing that, not because you want to do anything about it, but by the fact of witnessing itself means quite a lot of it kind of really erratic and uh, um, going nowhere behaviours just kind of futter out because they, they really only get going by a certain amount of, of confusion, 
and recklessness and, and craziness. So just kind of sitting, steadying. Actually, some things just don't happen at all. You, know, you don't feel particularly, you don't feel frightened, you don't feel power hungry, you don't feel a sense of you've got to get something and have something. So there's a lot of these kind of really, what we call reptilian, that may be an insult to reptiles. <laughs> you know, these kind of behaviors really don't get going because they don't have a ground for it. You've got to be a bit crazy and wacky and frightened and tense and uptight and confused to actually get this stuff running. Yeah. And, and then there can be things like, you know, hurt, irritation, anxieties, you know, grumpiness and so forth. Oh, you don't want to follow. You don't want to go with that because it tightens and it it darkens. It doesn't lead back to the awareness. It leads on to more activities. And the more that we really trust this awareness, the more we feel into that. You don't want to you don't want to part, you don't want to part company with that because that's really the best thing, the most trustworthy thing, the most comfortable thing you've got going. So anything that takes you out of that. You know, I don't want to go that way. You know, I don't. Even if it's promising me this, that, this, that, I, you know. And of course, it's an education, is it? Because I guess most of us will follow those impulses and thoughts, and long enough until you keep getting the message. Yes, in its own way, it's convincing. In its own rationale, it's convincing. You know, he did this to me, therefore I'm going to get even with him. You know. He hurt me, I'm going to hurt him back. Yeah. She never does this, I'm going to really give her a going over. Yeah. His own kind of crude re- rationality or crude logic it has, it's kind of, whatever you call it, it sort of can stand up. And actually quite a lot of, of uh, public consciousness is like that, isn't it? You know, so it does something wrong, I want to see him punished. <laughs> You know, let's bomb them because we're frightened of them. They might attack us, so let's blast them first of all. You know, these kind of things happening. Yeah. But, and it all makes sense when you're frightened. When you get the fear stuff comes over, then you do, well, I'm sorry, we just got to do this because we're frightened. You know, so you get fear, you get power, you get um, um, things like that really hit the nerve where people will start to lose touch with their own real treasure and and give it away. Probably these much more powerful even than greed. People do lose it with greed, but it's a little less, perhaps a little less really instinctive as fear. And, um, you know, which is supposed to be about protecting your life. So, you know, when peaceful people will actually go out to meet hostile people. This is a tremendous uh, sign of people not um, following fear and not following revenge and not following hatred. You know, even when you could say on an emotional, purely emotional level, there's every reason to do so, you know. But they're not relying on emotion. If you rely on awareness, you realise, no, we've done that. I'm sure, we've all done that. We all kind of, 
verbally you know, lashed back or, manip- or manipulated or attacked people or, you know, born grudges. You know, it's probably can do it again, you know, somewhere along the line. But in the process of waking up, you know, you see these, you kind of, you, you tire of these, not even because they're morally distasteful, but just because they, they don't take you anywhere good. You know, you end up stuck sitting in your own bath water of, of, of muck. <laughs> and, you, and there's a sense of, you know, you lo- we're losing something really precious. Yeah, a true Lumpur called it a true home, you know, where there isn't fear. Awareness isn't fear. It's doesn't have fear in it. It doesn't have hatred in it. Yeah. Pure pure awareness doesn't have that. And our practice is then really, how is it that, although this is the true for, for all of us, you know, how is it that all of us, I imagine, get seduced, get kind of, you know, get, in, get seduced by these energies? Even though, as probably as practitioners, we might all recognize this is really rather nice space where you can kind of sit back and witness and feel quite mellow and you know or at least you can acknowledge it or you think yeah i get a touch of that yeah i want to be more of that and yet we keep getting seduced by these other things if they're important or urgent or where you have to be you know so though there is this quality there's something to be done here which is really um, our work. There is a kind of a behavior that needs to be brought around. Behavior really connecting awareness to the very roots of our behavior. It's a behavior that examines or investigates or is interested in the, the very moment of behavior arising, the very roots of behavior. You know, a very root of each action in our mind. How much of it is just kind of ricochet, bouncing, reverberating? How much of it is saturated in some kind of position or ideology or dogma or it's always been this way or that's not my problem or we always do that or, you know, something, even if it's not a religious dogma, a kind of a line that we've got some kind of line that we've got, we just go, Gurk, <laughs> do that, <laughs> rather than, yeah, yeah, that, you know, because even with the, the uh, teachings on, on awareness, you know, you can do some funny, we don't connect it to behavior. You, I mean, one of the, one, I think, one of the um, fallacies and perhaps a dangerous one is we, we completely separate awareness from behavior. So you can either kind of rest in awareness or there's kind of behavior and behavior is just what happens. You know, it's just stuff that happens. Just the way it is. You know, whatever arises happens. Well, what, well, why did it arise? You know, 
did you ever look at that? You know, just being with what arises. Yeah, but what, why did it arise? Did you ever look at that? Yeah. You get to the root of that. I think this is, to my mind, what the the the, the real work is. Yeah, it's great to just witness, you know, your moods and thoughts and feelings and however they are, profane, sacred, violent, and just be there witnessing. Yeah, that's better than acting on it. But wouldn't it be, you know, wouldn't it be just entertain the possibility it might not have to arise even if you get to the roots of it? You know, and why, how come it was like the in in Japan in the Second World War? Zen, some of the Zen masters were supporting the war. You know, when killing, just kill. You know, don't as long as you don't think about it. There's no self. Just be aware of the aware of killing, because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just stuff happening. <laughs> as long as you don't don't. Attached to it, <laughs> or some you know, crazy thing like that, and uh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, so then you start to follow some kind of uh, slightly some religious viewpoint on these, and religion, a lot of religions have these views. And it's all right to like the you know, Bhagavad Gita, you go know, and kill people because it's you know. Nobody being killed, it's just elements, and we're all going to be reborn anyway. Yeah. Uh, this is dangerous stuff. People, the righteous war. Yeah. Of course, to really just bring your awareness to the roots of your behavior is, is, is very um, disarming. Yeah. Because maybe at that moment we really don't know what to do. When, because this is really what not self is about. When you bring your awareness to the almost the moment when your action is a, is happening or about to happen, you realize so much of what one senses oneself as being is that action. Or at least the actor, the one who thinks, who feels, who does, who knows. Because knowing is an action, an action of deducing, right? And without that, if you know, <laughs> you may feel something like that. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, you know, we come on, well, we can't, we, you know, you've got to do something. Yeah, yeah, true, but, but just the, the, the immediate sense in which you, you pick up behavior. And how difficult it is to, to, to just bear with a moment, a few moments of not having a response, or a thought, an action, a strategy, knowledge. Is this kind of a complete relinquishment into openness? Mm 
But so quite a lot of our practice, this is, this is rather difficult, but a lot of our practice is building up familiarity with the nature of mind or awareness. So you trust it more, because it really, in the end of the day, it's, it's your trust that's going to allow you to release. You can't do release. You can't figure release. You can't strategize release. You can get close. But eventually it's the very doing, the very strategizing that has to go. Because that's behavior, it's action. You know. Somebody was asking me the other day, well, when I get to this state, I kind of, my mind feels quite peaceful and happy and not thinking. What should I do? I said, do? I mean, so well, I don't just kind of, don't just sit here and wallow in it. So, well, why not? <laughs> well, I, you know, I should turn my mind to something more useful or profitable. Say, so, well, what do you think that is? Well, I don't know. Well, maybe you could tell me what's your useful and profitable. I say, well, I mean, there's these kind of latent tendencies we should uproot. I said, yeah, right. Well, maybe that latent tendency you need to uproot is the idea that you've got these latent tendencies that you need to uproot. Maybe that is the latent tendency, that continual thing you should be doing something, think, you know, knowing something, investigating something, working on something. Maybe that's the bit that's the, the fetter, that kind of nagging thing in the back somewhere. Every time you, know, you get into really stopping, dropping, uh, right, right, well, that was good. Yeah, well, done me hour. <laughs> you know, that was nice. Do something, you know. Or what should I turn my mind to now? Maybe that little kind of nervy bit is the bit that one should start to just say, no, you don't, don't. You f- we follow that. We follow that many times. What would it be like if you didn't follow that? Would you go potty? Would you fall apart? Would you start dribbling? <laughs> Why don't you take a chance? See what happens. <laughs> Why not? You know, it's, it's just that, that sense of giving it over, so that we get a sense of really, you know, really stepping back to look at some of these nervy senses right in the base of the mind that are so much associated with the sense of being something you know even being somebody who's being somebody who's getting closer to nibbana you know clean someone who's who's seen something and maybe you know my sense is well we we're not actually abandoning behavior because Believe me, something's going to happen, that's for sure. There's never been a problem with that. There's never been a case I'm sitting here and nothing's happening. <laughs> that is no problem. I can very easily make things happen. <laughs> so this is not, not going to be a big issue for me, like sitting here and going into some turnip state. <laughs> So if you just linger longer, you know, come to that, that relinquishment, maybe that you can see how 
just in actually looking very much at the the roots of behavior, even the roots of 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 what gives me form, you know, what makes me feel firm or useful or or alive or clear or something, you know. You've done that. You've done that already. You don't know. have to prove it. You've done it. So what if you just stop doing it? So there can be some sense in which you know this is more than even a self-experience. You know, actually, de de or re-establishing the foundation of, of what we sense ourselves as being. You know, because we see that when you come down to awareness, something's receptive, can't help but be receptive, can't help but be open, doesn't know, how, you know, has got nowhere being anything but. What if that's something that's so strong for us, stronger than our self-forming instincts, that that is available, you know, in the way that we are with each other. So behaviors come out of concern, what Buddha called anukampang, which means a kind of resonance. Sometimes called compassion, but he said so even in his own awakening, he said he had this sense of, you know, when his mind, his own mind is cleared, a sense of going forth, teaching out of this quality of resonance for sentient beings, could sense them, feel them, is therefore moved in that particular way. The behavior comes from that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and of course, you know, thousands of years of skillful cultivation really A tribute to that that sympathy, that resonance of the Buddha. You know, because because he that he said, okay, we go out, we'll be with people and say what seems to be useful. And when it's not useful, don't speak. Um, live a life of um, harmlessness. Live a life which is based upon receiving what people offer not demanding, not forcing, not cajoling. Just really living in resonance. And from that, how, you know, many, many people have derived benefits. So you're looking at very large time spans and culture spans and consciousness as a more fundamental human experience than even what we see in history, you know. Which, if you study history, it's all, it's all just gruesome, you know. I mean, by and large, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a tale of horror of <laughs> various kinds. There's <laughs> your political history of states and kings and um, co- colonies and winners and slavery and, you know, this kind of thing, laws. Some of it better than others. But if we really study the human being as this kind of as consciousness, as evolution of consciousness, yeah, you say, well, yeah, 
Yeah. But there's also these uh, you know, qualities of our, the cry of the heart, the call of the spirit that people know, experience, move towards something that baboons don't do and, you know, this is human beings. And there is this, uh, this cry which is as loud in its own way as the screams of the oppressed. Mm. And this surely, whatever else, this is what we have to follow. This we must follow. What we can do from there remains subject to forces, karma, external circumstance. Like the Buddha couldn't enlighten everybody. Even the Buddha. Open, resonant, clear, compassionate, deeply resourced in many ways. He couldn't turn everybody on. Some people are just too closed. Closed down. Not able to pick it up. So when he couldn't do it, you know, when he had to witness his own his own um, kindred being massacred, which is what happened to, in his life, tried four times to stop stop this massacre by just sitting outside the gates you know, of the city. Kings would come up and say. Um, well, would the Blessed One like to stand somewhere? I said, no, I'm fine sitting here. The shade of my kindred is dear to me. You know, I just sit in front of the gates. The king turn away. Turn away three times. You know. mm. Stop this. But even then he couldn't stop it. Yeah. So when we look at... Um, History, we also have to, there's a sense of, you know, cause and effect. And when these powers of confusion, ignorance, greed, avarice, jealousy, power, so forth, take over, they have, they have, they have, they have, they have effects. And a country like Burma isn't just like, pops up out the blue. This is just one poignant instance in the cause and effects of world history. You know? mm. And we can also say that the more that, you know, certainly as an individual, one moves away from, one starts to examine in oneself, one starts to really connect to one's behaviours, then in some ways you're putting down, laying down the causes and effects for the opposite, for harmony, for understanding, for fearlessness, Mm. for trust, for not having anything to lose. Mm. And then we could say, well, you know, it's every one of us feels, I'm sure we all need to feel we're living our life without regret, 
we're living a life without feeling we've kind of sold out to something that we've tried to be as fully and honorably um, human this I think we can all do I think we can all do this Anyone?